Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Got us a pile of folks in here tonight, folks. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's live roundtable discussion. Ton of news going on around North Carolina football and North Carolina athletics, ACC athletics. Joey Powell and I had the governor on earlier to talk Tez Walker and realignment in NIL, but I wanted to welcome everybody to this one. We're going to talk about realignment, UNC's place in realignment and the realignment debate. I'm Tommy Ashley, Buck Sanders, Rob Harrington. Folks that have followed Inside Carolina for a long time know that Rob Harrington is one of the preeminent basketball minds and now lawyer minds for Inside Carolina. Greg Barnes, of course, and Jason Staples joins us. right into you first i don't know if it's quite as simple i thought it was as simple as sec big 10 or big 10 for a while there we can debate everything but i wanted just to let you start this off and then i'm gonna get out of the way and let you guys go at it well there's there's really not much to say i I assume everybody on here knows the basics that uh acc is looking at uh, california and stanford and uh, I guess SMU, there's reports that they are doing that as well. Um, I was just checking uh, the news as much as I could before we came on, and there's been no movement, but apparently they're still meeting or going to meet their meeting to, tonight and maybe tomorrow and still talking about it. Um, you know, when we originally first uh, scheduled this chat, uh, we weren't even thinking about Cal and Stanford. We were thinking about uh, Florida State cutting and running um, and uh, talking about they wanted more money. And and we were just going to talk about that. But since then, it's been nonstop. Like every day this week, I've, that's what I've written about. And spoiler alert, that's what I'm going to be writing about tomorrow as well. So um, what's going to happen? Who knows? Uh, the... Uh, we all know that the, the obvious difficulties or the travel involved with the West Coast teams, uh, there are elements of that story that are interesting, but um, I would say it hasn't been received with the, like the same sort of, uh, oh, yeah, let's do that as, say, perhaps uh, Oklahoma and Texas experience when they went to SEC. So, um we're all in sort of a holding pattern. All we really can do is talk about what it might look like, but at this point, we don't know what it looks like. Rob, I'm going to get you in here first um, after Buck, because it's been a while since we've talked to you, but what's the view from where you are? Uh, You know, you're you're not right here in the middle of North Carolina where Mm -hmm. it pipes up all the time. What are your thoughts on all this? You've been around long enough to, to know how it works, but, but where are you in all this debate 
um, over realignment and adding schools or schools getting out. Start us off here. Yeah, well, first of all, um, in honor of the Seminoles, it's dark. You can't see, but I wore my FSU colors, so it might come through a little bit. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think That's I think fitting because FSU was keeping us in the dark. <laughs> I, I really like um, the way Buck has phrased this. I think everyone else has picked up on this too. The first train smoking out of town. I've been on that. I've been in that mode, uh, just in that state of mind for some time because I don't. I don't think the situation is salvageable. And, it, and of course, m most people are at IC are going to focus on the revenue sports and football. But as someone who has very much enjoyed the success of the non-revenue sports, I think that's actually where the chasm will show up first competitively. I mean, you already see that happening in those sports. And then, of course, the, the football situation. I mean, FSU pointed out all these issues. You know, every, everyone was sort of having fun with them last week. But you know, they're right. I mean, especially in their case, because they have a rival neighbor in the state. And so Carolina doesn't have quite that situation that it faces. But I, I definitely, I, I don't favor anything that would make it more difficult to leave. I think bringing in these new, any new schools would make it more difficult because anyone coming in is not going to want to tear up the grant of rights. I mean, the schools that would come in are desperate. You know, they'll happily sign it. Uh, they we would they wouldn't dissolve. It would be more difficult to amend the bylaws. So any of the the substantive things that need to happen at that seventy five percent approval rate gets more difficult when you have basically a fancier equivalent of BC coming in. And so I, I my perspective from the UNC side is I'd like to see them find a way to get out. I think is I think Carolina will never be as uh, braggadocio about it as far as state was last week but i wouldn't be surprised i mean you guys tell me uh, behind the scenes if there are people who agree and would like to do the same i think uh rob just so you catch just to catch you up jason is um one of inside carolina's renowned experts in the football analysis aspect of it but he's also a florida state former florida state grad and uh I'm doing my best not to go to him now because he chuckled at the braggadocio <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and uh, I love remember Jason. He, he, ain't, he ain't wrong. And look, we're <laughs> Florida State. You got Deion Sanders and, you know, lots of lots of roots for the braggadocio there. You know, FSU folks will own that. Nope. No problem there. <laughs> let me get, let me get Greg in first. Greg, one thing uh, I feel like that. um to use probably a poor analogy, but I feel like the ACC is walking in after stores already been looted and getting leftovers here when they didn't want to go in first. You know, when you're talking about Cal and Stanford and SMU and all, I mean, they could have made offers to USC and UCLA and whatever. I, I think they're late to the punch there, but Greg, this is where the debate is. If, if assume everybody's screen looks like mine, Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. This, this could be good. Greg, your take on, A, the, the thought of adding these schools and how ridiculous it is, in my opinion, but also, is this even a, a possibility here of somebody jumping ship and, and making it work and then everybody soon follows? Well, Tommy, let me, let me start here. I've got a couple points to make and then, then we'll go, go that route. Um, six weeks ago, 
And I think this is very important. I think we need to start here. Six weeks ago, Stanford won the Director's Cup, the Learfield Director's Cup, which gives you points for all of your sports, not just revenue, but all of your Olympic sports as well. They won the Director's Cup for the 26th time in 29 years. There is not a better athletic department in the entire country than Stanford. And who's left in the Pac-12 mess trying to find a home moving forward? Stanford. Can we cut the BS about amateur athletics and be done with it? It's nonsense. If amateur athletics mattered at all, Stanford would be one of the first programs that people would be after. And it's not the case. So let's cut it, right? This is a, a move to, if you want to call it semi-pro, fine. But let's cut the amateur nonsense because it's done. We're past it. Now, the ACC. Here's the thing. Um, when John Swafford and everybody panicked after Maryland bolted for the Big Ten in 2014, what was the goal? There, there were two goals, but the primary goal was we've got to get a deal in place to eliminate the ACC from all these discussions about expansion and from being poached. Well, sitting here talking about it right now, I think it worked. Who's being poached from the ACC? Nobody. The Pac-12 is done, and the reason the Pac-12 is done is because the Big 12 brought in some, some uh, creative minds and they knew they needed to be aggressive. And so they have been, and uh, here we are. The Pac-12's down to, what, the Pac-4? So the, the grant of rights in terms of one of the primary goals was, was accomplished. The other one, of course, is John Swafford really desperately wanted the ACC network. That, he wanted that to be his legacy. Um, it wasn't necessarily, hey, this maximized revenue. Because at the time, how about this? At the time, when this was signed 10 years ago, the ACC, in terms of payout, was estimated at $1 million per year less than the SEC and the Big Ten. And when you look at projections for 2029, you're talking about the Big Ten being at $120 million per program each year and the ACC being at 60. Uh, that's quite significant. Uh, now, in terms of, like, UNC's positioning, uh, you know, we've reported that the UNC and Virginia are kind of the top of the echelon, right? They're, they're the top of the pecking order if the grant of rights can be dealt with. And I really think, and, and Rob's the guy to answer this for us or at least provide an educated opinion, uh, but the fact that a lot of people – Intelligent minds don't seem to know what it's going to take to break the GRR. Leads me to believe that it's going to take somebody going to, to court. Uh, maybe FSU. That's the one good thing about FSU being as loud as they've been the last week or so is maybe that is the institution that says, you know what, forget it. We're taking this to court. And at that point, maybe we all kind of get an idea of, okay, this is what it's going to take to break it. Um, because whoever does that first, right, is – the, the great line from, from Moneyball is the first person through the wall always gets bloody. And I think there are just a bunch of ACC programs worried about getting bloody 
and leaving a bad mark and testing this thing out. I think that's what it's going to take. I can keep on. Man, I've I said everybody should mute when they were not. I, I, I was just I was just sitting here laughing to myself <laughs> because I, I, I it's it I haven't I don't know that I've ever seen it happen to you, Tommy. I don't think it has. Uh, it might you know, it's the first time for everything. Jason Staples is FSU the one to be bloodied? Um, every indication I've gotten from inside and around Tallahassee, and you know I I don't have. Uh, all the contacts that uh, that maybe I had ten years ago, but I've still got a lot of a lot of folks, you know, who are well connected down there, and I've investigated. And everything I, I everything I keep hearing is that, and I mean, this is kind of obvious, but it's not a matter of of whether; it's a matter of when. And uh, you know, there was the, Florida State has not just been barking uh, as a as a, as an idle threat here. Everything that I've uh, I've gotten from that side of things is that they're very serious, and ultimately they're willing to be the ones to get bloody. the The question really has been whether it's going to be this year or next, and I don't think it goes past the year following that. I think within within the next couple of years they're gonna they're gonna test this out. Uh, ultimately, it, it goes back to something that Rob said, which is it's one you know it's one thing if you are in a state where your other like in-state rivals and that sort of thing are kind of stuck like you. It's another thing if you're Clemson or Florida State and your in-state rival is making $60 million or $50 million more a year than you, that, that's a serious problem. You play those people every year, right? And not just in football and all these other sports. And, and you talk about what that means to Florida State fans to beat Florida every year or to not lose to Florida <laughs> every year in whatever sport that stuff matters. And what Florida state and Clemson uh, and Clemson has kind of let Florida state take the lead on this in terms of, uh, of being the, the one to do all the barking, but they they're looking at, they're looking down the barrel of this and they're saying, look right now, Florida state is a better football team than, than, than Florida is coming into 2023. Right now, Clemson is in a much stronger place as a program than South Carolina. But four years from now, is that is that going to be true? Is that possible with that kind of disparity? Now, the the reality of this is the other thing that Rob, you you, you know, you kind of beat me to the punch on this, and that's that football will be the last thing that actually sees the big difference here. Because, you know, if you are, if you're Florida State or Clemson and it comes down to the life of your, of your athletic department and making your alumni happy and everything else, all that comes with, you know, the, the athletic department is the front porch of the university and all that. You can, you know what, they're, they're not going to be real thrilled when Florida starts beating you year in, year out in volleyball. They're not going to be happy about that. But compared to losing that one game per year in football, <laughs> well, you know, too bad. I guess, you know, we're just not going to be able to pay the volleyball coach quite as much now and, or, or put as much into the travel budget for volleyball. And so and all of those extra funds are just going to get pulled into football until it just hurts and hurts and hurts everything else. Because every dollar that they're spending across the state, they're going to try to keep matching at least in football, in the revenue sports, but football in particular at those places, 
And, you know, at UNC, if it was the same way, it would be basketball. Imagine a world where Duke is in, say, the Big Ten and making $120 million when, you know, UNC is making 50 or 60. Well, basketball is going to get all the money just because you can't afford to lose to Duke year in, year out and, and get and get blown out. You've got to that. That's that. Otherwise, you're going to lose all your donor money. So what they're doing is they're looking at this and they're saying, look, if we're going to be 40 or 50 or $60 million down to our competitors, then at a certain point, the real risk is not taking the gamble of challenging this. Cause if they can get out from under it and close that down, then they can survive. If they can't, well, they're screwed either way. That's that's the mindset right now in a lot of ways in Tallahassee and and in uh, in Clemson, where they're expecting you got to do something, and not not taking that risk is going to leave you worse off anyway. So you might as well. Yeah, I think that's the challenge for for everybody is trying to figure out what that balance is. Uh, I've got a, I've got two questions for the the lawyers on board tonight. Uh, the first one should be relatively easy, but since there's a lot of confusion. Um, about what exactly it will take to break the GOR in terms of, you know, I keep being told they think it's the majority. They think it's eight, but I've also heard maybe just seven. It could be 12. Um, is there a way, I mean, can, can a school go to a, a court and say, hey, can you provide definition on this of what it would actually take? Is that an option? I'll defer to Rob to uh, start with here. There's a thing called a uh, declaratory judgment or something like that, Rob, that uh, you can seek a uh, declaration from the court as to uh, your legal standing in a situation. I don't know that it would apply here, but, um, you know, that usually uh, and they'll tell you in law school is that every case has to involve a, a controversy you know there has to be an actual live controversy something at stake to litigate um they don't uh generally courts generally frown on a, a providing an advisory opinion um but uh the first question i would have is does florida state have an invitation to go anywhere has anybody said Hey, uh, if you leave the ACC, uh, we're, we'll take you right away. Is that a done deal? So I assume that's partly directed or at least, you know. Well, I'm good to, to anybody that knows. So, yeah. so what I understand, and again, everything in this world is a hall of, is a house of mirrors. As I understand it, if Florida State got out of the – ACC and out from under the grant of rights, there is a, so, you know, conferences can't extend invitations. It's sort of like uh, hiring coaches, right? Oh, we, we never offered that coach. Well, of course not. <laughs> right. You talk to his agent and you said, so say if we should happen to offer, if we should happen to offer your client this amount of money, would your, would your client be interested in accepting this? Of course, that's not an actual offer of, you know, here's, here's our offer. 
And then, you know, they, they get turned down and that's a no or yes. Well, now there's really kind of been a, a back channel under the table offer there. And this is how these things have gone with, you know, these back channel things from, uh, from, their, from, from the different conferences. As I understand it, Florida State and Clemson, actually, which surprised me, but Florida State uh, has, a, uh, has a spot reserved in the Big Ten if they leave. Uh, I, I think Florida State would probably prefer to be in the SEC. And to my knowledge, they, they do not have uh, that understanding with the SEC. But uh, as I understand it, they, they would have a landing spot if they left. Uh, just like North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina doesn't even have to ask the question. North Carolina would have a spot in either one without having to investigate either, uh, uh, either conference. If they got out of, the, out of the grant of rights, they would have a conference home tomorrow. And- yeah, that's my question for you, Jason, actually, is yeah. um, you know, that offer for FSU – to the Big Ten would would be contingent on them getting out of the grant of rights because that was there was a lot of confusion about this last week because I thought well how could any conference offer FSU or UNC or anyone while they're subject to it because they would be volunteering to be a defendant in litigation and you wouldn't offer someone a lot of money with encumbered assets like basic stuff exactly so surely that that has to be okay if you get out and if you solve the grant of rights problem we'd love to have you. Not that they would offer them before they got right. out. Right, right. They can't say it that way, right? You know, you can't say like, right. well, you know, because you've got the other problem of tortious interference, and and all of this when you when you're dealing with you know entities under contract and all of these other things. But as we all know, these sorts of back channel discussions happen all the time, and and from what I understand, the flo- the, the the folks at Florida State believe that they have a home in the in the Big Ten. Uh, if they, if they leave and find their way out now, again, that's a bigger legal deal than, you know, that's not an easy, that's, that's not just a straightforward deal for exactly the reasons that you said, but they do believe that. So Rob, uh, I want to ask you the same question earlier about, you know, if there's a a path to, to get some kind of confirmation from the court, but also wanted to ask you, I've looked through the, the grant of rights, and it seems pretty clear that if, a, if another program joins, that they have to basically sign up for the grant of rights as well through the duration. Uh, but with the ACC kind of poking around, as re- has been reported with Stanford and, and Cal and SMU, um, I know some of that is about Notre Dame, and we can get into that later. But do you, do you and this is hypothetical, but do you think that's possibly saying, okay, ESPN, if we add some more teams, you are you willing to renegotiate this thing? Is is there a process in place for that type of thing as well? I think on the first question, I think most judges or lawyers would say you have defective bylaws because the dissolution ought to be covered in the bylaws. That's how companies work. The bylaws actually mention dissolution. They were mentioned in the event of dissolution, some other thing. But right. they don't tell you how to do it, and yeah. so that that would be the fix. If you if you want to clean up this mess, it's not even a corporation. It's not an LLC. It's a very strange, uh, unusual entity. And I don't, as I understand, there's not much case law around these types of entities and what it takes to dissolve them. I think probably the better, just intuitively, if it takes 75% to amend the bylaws, it seems weird to me that a, a simple majority could kill the conference. 
that would be a lower threshold, but I don't know that. And I don't know how that would get litigated. It's not my area. Um, on the second bit, you know, there, there's a huge void of information because I, I don't know anyone who's seen the actual ACC ESPN media deal. That would be where they would negotiate the, I know there are look-ins um, if, and there, there's some kind of automatic look-in, like there, there are periodic look-ins and there's an automatic look-in if they get Notre Dame. That was something they agreed to. If you can get Notre Dame, we'll immediately increase your money, which is a fair thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it would help anyone get out. As long as ESPN likes the deal, I don't think they would amend it in a way that would compromise their position. The, 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 I mean, it's going to get a, it's going to be a better and better deal for ESPN while these fees are skyrocketing elsewhere. If you can keep FSU and Clemson for a relatively small amount of money, ESPN has no incentive unless the conference became totally not competitive. But as we've already said, it, football probably will hang on for, there's a lot of inertia there and motivation to be good. And ESPN doesn't care about non-revenue sports. So it, to me, that doesn't seem very promising. The I, I've always thought from, at least for the past year or so, once, once we really saw the bylaws and the grant of rights that the better way out and the ultimate way out will be on the business side rather than legal, because I think the, the path of litigation, there's so much, the, the grant of rights is really not noteworthy for what it has. It's noteworthy for what it doesn't have. So it's missing stuff of choice of laws, missing jurisdiction. So there, any number of questions would have to be litigated before you even got to the central questions. And it seems like to me, eventually, uh, people are going to find enough money to, you know, especially over time as they get closer and closer to the end to find a way out. It would just be a lot cleaner. And if that might, maybe at some point, people can find the pot of gold. And, and I think that's more realistic. Uh, jumping in, I was going to say, uh, just to follow up, there's so much that we don't know. But if, if the reporting on it is correct, and a lot of this is coming from uh, Ross Dellinger, haven't seen it from a lot of other places, but apparently in the ESPN contract, and Greg, you may know this as well, um, if they add a team, then that team is entitled to a full share. So if the ACC, if, if ACC is paying North Carolina $39 million a year, and they add somebody, whether it's, um, you know, Stanford or um, Sanford Sheet Metal School, they're going to get $39 million uh, as a share equal to what everybody else is getting from the deal. Um, so if they – now, there's – I've also seen some uh, people talking about whether or not uh, if the ESPN would approve, for example, three full sh shares, if they wanted to add California, Stanford, and SMU, would they give them three full shares um, under the current contract? I don't have the answer to that, but um, at least initially, if they were to add, say, Stanford and Cal, uh, they would add uh, a full share to that contract. And that's where it gets interesting. Uh, I think uh, both California and Stanford would take less than a full share. Um, and SMU will take no share at all, they say, for five to seven years. Um, so 
that would mean more money for the remain the remaining schools that are getting full shares would get a bigger piece of the pie if they let those schools in with less than a full share. So just something to throw out there. Yeah, and Tommy, you, you mentioned your initial question to me was about Stanford and Cal and, and SMU. Um, I don't think I touched on that, so I'll, I'll do that now. One thing that I think is frightening is that when you talk about Cal, uh, apparently they have the most athletics debt of any public school in the country. Uh, and there's really I don't know. no I think Rutgers would be pretty close. It would have to be, wouldn't they? They're like probably billion. Yeah, yeah, they're they're in bad shape as well. Um, so that's interesting. But I, I do think, and it kind of here's the the thing, and one of the reasons I was asking um, Rob about you know, if if you go to different schools and say, hey, ESPN, we're talking with other schools, can we re- renegotiate? I think that's smart on the ACC's part. Um, yeah, I haven't been overly impressed with Jim Phillips thus far. But I will say, I think it was very smart to move the ACC headquarters out of Greensboro and into Charlotte. I know that doesn't sit well with some people. I think that's a smart financial decision. Um, And I also think that your only option right now that that I see is adding Notre Dame. And I'm not alone in that. that. I've been told that several times by very influential people over the last five years, that really the only option that the ACC has to uh, keep tabs with, with the SEC and the Big Ten to keep even with them was to add Notre Dame. Uh, and we know about the rivaled, uh, the storied rivalry between Stanford and, and Notre Dame, right? So it makes sense if you're the ACC to go to Stanford and say, hey, Notre Dame, yeah, we're talking with Stanford here. If we possibly add Stanford and maybe Cal to make them happy, does that sweeten the pot for you? Would you consider joining us now? Because everybody needs to remember, Notre Dame cannot join another conference except for the ACC through the run of the grant of rights. So until 2035-36, if Notre Dame joins, it has to be the ACC. Um now, is that going to matter? It doesn't seem like it has. It seems like you know, there's been some some downward talk of the Stanford deal anyway of not not happening. But I think that's smart on the ACC's part to at least entertain these options and say, hey, Notre Dame, we're going to maybe add Stanford if you agree to join. Um, and I think that's what they have to do is, is trying to get out of the box and think creatively because uh, that's about the only option I see right now, other than directly challenging the GOR. I think, well, you I had a question, but you changed it. So say the ACC added Stanford and Cal, SMU. What's Notre Dame's other other rivalries? Navy? I mean, if you added all these schools to entice Notre Dame, A, I'm not sure they'd still join, but B, at what point does it become diluted enough that it adding Notre Dame doesn't matter or wouldn't move the needle to the Big Ten or SEC level? I mean, is that a valid question, Greg? Or is Notre Dame that big of a that big of a fish to balance it all out? I mean I, I think so. Um I, I think I think Notre Dame's your only play. Um and if you can get Notre Dame, then then you're willing to kind of sacrifice. I mean, yeah, the, the, do, do you trade everybody? Do do you 
add, you don't trade everybody, but do you add everybody you can just to get Notre Dame? Yeah, because the way the way it was set up, however many years ago, was you know, the ACC is going to be at fourteen teams, um, with Notre Dame being the fifteenth team in every sport but football. On the idea that, well, obviously Notre Dame is going to be one of those other two spots, and then essentially whoever we need to add to satisfy Notre Dame to get them in to make 16. Now, I think at this point, if Notre Dame wants to add three more teams, you go to 18. If you can get to 20, but you get Notre Dame, yeah, you do it. Um, I think that's the key part. And let me just add this in, uh, but looking it up, and this is according to, I think, Sportico. Yeah, Sportico. California is in $440 million wow. in athletic debt. Wow. Let me <coughs> jump in a second. Um, you're talking the previous topic being about Notre Dame and adding other schools and whatnot. If the reporting is correct, the inside sources of the reporting I've seen, uh, Notre Dame uh, was pounding their shoe on the table to get uh, the ACC, try to convince the ACC to admit Cal and Stanford and and their argument was that um, you know what are we doing here if we're leaving off two of the most uh, two of the strongest academic institutions in all of Power Five and they don't have a home in the Power Five anymore. Um, and a couple of uh, local uh, writers in a triangle uh, said, well. I wonder if there was a way, something that uh, you know Notre, you know Notre Dame could do to make sure that uh, they get uh, Cal and Stanford in the in the mix. Uh, yeah, you know they could say, "Hey, uh, let Cal and Stanford in, and we're on the way." But as crazy as those people are in South Bend, they're banging their shoe to get Cal and Stanford admitted. Without saying that, without wanting to join themselves. So, what do you? Where do you go with that? So, I don't know that that's the end of the argument, but uh, that's what the reporting was today. Is that California was? Re I mean, uh, Notre Dame was lobbying very hard for the ACC presidents to uh, see their way clear to admit Cal and Stanford. Yeah, with with friends like that, who needs enemies? You know, the ACC, just bring them all in, and then Notre Dame can just play them in the rotation. Let, let me ask a question, Jason. I want to get you back in, but I want to go to to Rob here. You talked about the ACC, or the excuse me, the ESPN media deal. My question is this: If school, like everybody says, SEC, Big Ten, or whatever, what ESPN already has the SEC. So it, it, there is no financial benefit for them for schools to leave the ACC, which they already have, to go there. They'd have to pay them more for the same content. But if teams like Florida State or Clemson or whoever are threatening to go to Big Ten, which is not ESPN, does that rattle ESPN enough? Do those those threats, are they valid threats enough to make um, challenges to the, to the GOR and whatever? have ESPN negotiate, renegotiate, or want to renegotiate? At what point do you get to that aspect of it where ESPN comes back to the table and says, hey, let's work out a deal here before you guys go to the Big Ten? Is that a thing? 
I mean, I, I think this, that's, again, that goes back to the business part of it where I think this will ultimately get solved uh, because I'm sure ESPN would be terrified to, to start to lose uh, traction in the South. And as much as they pay for it, if you lost FSU and Clemson to Fox, uh, as much as they're gobbling up other content, they have this huge media consortium already with a lot of money. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that would get their attention. I mean, this again requires someone to successfully get out, you know, not just claim that they got out, but to actually get out. And, and I think at that point, because the, the grant of rights really was ESPN making that a condition to, to signing this media contract, like ESPN required it. And so maybe if they pulled back on the throttle a little bit and said, actually, okay, we, it might make sense for us to make this a little more appealing uh, and you know, money goes up the term just to turn the temperature down. So people don't feel like they're stuck for another 12 years. Yeah. You know, that it seems plausible, but I, I think the sequencing probably would be someone having to, to have a credible threat of leaving first. And so far it hasn't happened. You know, who's really going to challenge the grant of rights. One interesting thing about it though, is we're talking about from an ACC perspective, the Big 12 grant of rights actually works from the same form as the ACC grant of rights. And there was a lot of discussion around that too uh, when the Texas schools announced they were leaving. So I haven't really looked into it yet, but it's interesting to me that uh, two massive deals like that, two, you know, these little inky-dink, uh, rinky-dink contracts would, would work off the same form. So the, the same minds that, drafted the ACC's also drafted the big 12s. So if we could find any uh, interesting legal analysis, it would probably apply both ways. It's interesting, interesting. We got more to it at Inside Carolina Roundtable, the realignment debate and UNC's place in it. Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com sponsors of this podcast. Jason is muted, so he can't give me a mm, to go with that, but support them. Support, support Johnny T-shirt. Go out and get your gear there. Support them. They support us at Inside Carolina. Great friends, alumni owned and operated. Um, you know, Joey Powell asked me after our recording earlier today, I wonder did the governor buy that Carolina blue tie Johnny T-shirt? He could have because they've got everything you need there for your Carolina fandom and your Carolina needs. Inside Carolina premium subscribers get that 10% off as well. National guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. All right, we're back on this roundtable. I, I, I wonder where we could go from here, but Greg, I'm going to kick it back to you because I asked you a question on the side here, and somebody in the chat said, tell Notre Dame to pound sand. Would it be possible for the ACC, to Buck's point, Notre Dame wants their friends in but doesn't want to get in, would it be possible for the ACC to say, hey, we're probably just not going to play these five games we play with you every year unless you join the conference. I mean, is that a thing? Is that a, a bargaining chip at all? Or would they simply fold up the Notre Dame either way? Yeah, that's that, I mean, that's part of the, the ESPN deal. That's, um, I mean, it's the same. You know, Notre Dame can't go join another conference, and the ACC can't stop playing games against Notre Dame. It's, they're all married it's a dysfunctional marriage, but they are married together. Um, and I think that's – I really think, and I uh, – you know, it's water under the bridge at this point, but I, I think the ACC really dropped the ball in 2020 when all the COVID stuff was going down. 
and Notre Dame was desperate to find somewhere to land, to have games to play. I really think that was the time that the ACC should have stepped up and been like, yeah, you want to play? We'll do it, but you're going to have to join. Um, and they they failed to do that, and now kind of we are where we are. And we've talked a lot about uh, the expansion of the college football playoff in recent years, and the ACC was against that initially because they understood that you know, with there only being four teams in the playoff, Notre Dame is not guaranteed by any stretch to get into the playoff. Therefore, that may be a reason for them to join a conference. But now we're talking about 12 teams. Notre Dame doesn't have to have a great year to have a chance to get into the playoff. So this is very little reason for the Notre Dame to, to want to join the ACC at this point in time. Which uh, does not bode well for the ACC, but I asked you this a little bit, and it's something I thought of after our show earlier today, um, Joey and I did, is say the ACC disbands or the ACC Carolina leaves, you know, NC State goes somewhere, Duke does something else, and there's no more ACC tournaments in North Carolina. There's no more ACC championship games in Charlotte. Um, We talk about state legislatures and how they – you know, perhaps can have power to hold schools' feet to the fire and keep them in. But what if that happens? You've been around as long as I have, a little bit longer. I mean, North Carolina's economy, not just North Carolina, University of North Carolina, not just Duke, Wake, or NC State, but the state of North Carolina. I mean, how big a deal is that, Buck, in your thinking and all this? Or do you say, as you said earlier, which is a great line, first train smoking? get out of town where are you there but when you think about it that way well uh at, if florida state was able to uh bust down the gate and you know find a way around the the uh, gor gor um then i think north carolina should be right on their hip uh following them out the door um uh, so <laughs> If that happens, if, if somebody breaks the GOR, then it's a real question, what's going to happen to some of these programs? Because there's not going to be room for everybody in the ACC, in the SEC, and Big Ten. I mean, they would have to go some other place. And where would those places be? Um, and what would it look like? What would it look like if NC State is now all of a sudden in the big 12, you know, uh, you, you hear a lot of conversation about where NC state might land. And I don't mean this in a mean, mean way or because they're UNC's rival, but I think they're, they're much more likely to wind up in the big 12 than they would the big 10 or the SEC. Um, and so what, what would happen? What would that look like? You know, if, uh, you know, NC State, Wake Forest end up in some conference that's not the SEC or Big Ten. Um, what would their football programs look like? You know, it, it's just a hard thing to imagine. And you dump all of that on top of everything that happens in the state uh, athletically. Um, that's a lot of revenue that go, walks out the door that you may not get back. I mean, it, it could have a definite economic impact on the state if if you end up with a situation where a lot of these programs just no longer have a viable football program or um, 
you know, like Wake Forest all of a sudden becomes like Old Dominion or something like that. Um, that's just not going to create the interest that they're used to having. Uh, one I, idea that I heard going, and this is dragging Notre Dame back in the, in the conversation, we can't seem to get away from them, but some, I saw this idea somewhere today and it, it's been, I've been ruminating on it all day. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, if, what if Notre Dame did not join the conference for football, but they played eight games, eight conference games in the U in, in football and became, uh, and were eligible to compete for the ACC championship. Does that change anything? Uh, that, that's a lot to break on this group. It's kind of cold, but it was an interesting concept to me. If they, if they decided to play eight, um, ACC games and the ACC office said, okay, since you're playing a conference schedule, you can compete for the ACC, uh, championship. Does that change anything? I don't know that it probably would mean more money, uh, because, uh, to, to ESPN because um, they would own the rights to, you know, any away games they played. Um, does, does that move the needle for anybody? That's basically what they did in 20, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, I mean, it would de facto be a member of the conference. Jason, you're muted, but where do you think on that? Uh, I mean – I'm, I, I've never been the Notre Dame hater, but I think the more this conversation goes, the more I might become one. Uh, but what do you think <laughs> about uh, <laughs> what do you think about uh, that Buck scenario? I mean, that's I don't know. Well, the big the big issue here uh, that that really what what Notre Dame's independence is really about is Notre Dame wants to be seen and treated as a as an entity of its own in terms of media and also uh college football as a whole and so if they did that and then that involved okay so you're going to play eight conference games and all of that as long as notre dame could could keep their network that it, uh, their network arrangement which is notre dame football rather than acc football when they're playing at home and uh is able to have a separate seat at the table when, you know, voting on college football stuff, you know, the, the various power five conferences all have a vote. And then Notre Dame has a vote just like the rest of the conferences. If Notre Dame could keep that and maintain their own separate network for all their home games, then yeah, they'd say, okay, well maybe, maybe we'll up more games. So that would result in like, what one or two more games on, on ESPN per year. And I don't know that that moves the needle all that much. And I just don't see Notre Dame as being very interested in leaving their privileged place. You know, they, they've taken less in media money from NBC for years than they would have gotten in a major conference as a part of the conference payout, because the 
benefits of of having their own of being their own entity in this way outweigh the money and 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 they have enough money from donors and everything else to to cover that now the interesting question or the, i'm going to add one more interesting question to this is at what point so notre dame has taken less money than than lots of other teams for or lots of other programs for a long time but at what point is notre dame looking looking down the barrel and going yeah, well, you know, we could we could afford to leave 10 million on the table. We can't afford to leave 60. Right? At what point do they end up in the same kind of situation that I was just talking about with Florida State and Clemson? And that's the that's the the other interesting factor is, you know, when does Notre Dame decide that they actually can no longer afford to hold their separate space? And and does that ever happen to them? I I, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, you know, they're their own, their own separate space. They think their own way. So I, I think trying to forecast that is, uh, is difficult. And I think generally defaulting to them wanting to maintain their own privilege is going to be the, the safe bet. Uh, I do want to add one thing to something Greg said earlier, and that is the ACC not only screwed up in 2020 with, with Notre Dame, or Notre Dame, but also with Oklahoma and Texas because they were really pushing to try to get them in conference at one point, even as far back as Swafford. I mean, I'm talking, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, they were pushing hard to get Texas in particular, but Texas and Oklahoma in the, in the ACC and, you know, potentially even rolling. I remember hearing about rolling the, the Longhorn network in and that, you know, joining in with, you know, making a seamless transition to the ACC network and that would be natural and they pushed hard for that and if the ACC had managed to get them then all things are completely different but the ACC got flat out maneuvered by the SEC in that the ACC was against expansion of the playoff and rightly so and then finally went okay fine we'll we'll do that with this you know separate arrangement and everything and we've kind of got what we want and then what was it a week later the SEC goes <laughs> all right now that we've agreed on the expansion um, we're going to go ahead and add Texas and Oklahoma and i can tell you Texas and Oklahoma are probably not joining the SEC unless the playoff is expanded the ACC got fully outmaneuvered there they got outmaneuvered with respect to Notre Dame and the ACC is responsible for not taking care of all that business. Yeah. And Mac Brown's even shared the story. Uh, I'm trying to think what year this would have been, but it was probably a little bit before then Jason. Uh, but he was told Texas was going to join the PAC 12. And to the extent that his staff had already started to looking at uh, travel costs to recruit on the West coast. And then last minute, somebody came in and said, yeah, we're, we're not doing that. We've got the Longhorn Network. We're going to stay put for the time being. Yeah, that was um, – I, I remember that because it was uh, – there were actually a couple of programs in the Pac-12 that stood in the way of that, that didn't want uh, to go in. It was uh, USC in particular. Uh, if I remember right, it was USC's uh, Pat Hayden, their, um, their then AD, who – basically decide and you know he led sort of the charge against adding them saying you know there's no rush on this and all of this and ultimately that was i mean that was a huge huge mistake and that was geez when was that um that was 20 years ago yeah okay that was 2011 and i remember the acc was pushing for them as well but texas and oklahoma would have preferred to go the other way in, in that context but i mean it goes as far back as there and the acc should have pulled out the stops to to get them 
as opposed to allowing what, what happened with the SEC, which really, that to me, that's what broke the back of the ACC in terms of, of the, the, the revenue dis, uh, differential and all of that is allowing them to get you know, outmaneuvered with the expansion of the playoff, which then facilitated adding Texas and Oklahoma. And then, you know, it's, it's real trouble. Goes back to the analogy, the poor one I used earlier. The ACC um, doesn't want to be the first one to step up, ends up cleaning up the crumbs. Rob, let me get you in here, and then we're going to start circling this back to the end game. And speaking of end game, what is the end game legally here? Where, where does, from a legal perspective, what is there to do? If you get the lawyers in, what is there to do here to to try to figure out all this? Because I think we all agree, or most of us agree, that the ACC is there's no viable option for the ACC outside of Notre Dame. So what are, what are what are the legal ramifications and the legal end games for UNC schools like that? I mean, it seems like they've already taken the obvious step of trying to to sort out the grant of rights, and I, I just have to assume at this point with that many different firms looking at it if if no one has challenged it of the of those at least of the handful who would like to challenge it then they must not be very confident that they have a strong claim so i've been i've been pessimistic about that aspect of things i don't know about the espn acc deal if if there's any any wiggle room in there because i haven't ever seen it i'm not aware that that has ever been released to the public i don't know why it would be but um I don't know. I, I'm not optimistic about anyone challenging the grant of rights because it would take so many years and so much money to resolve. Even if you won, it would it would take years to, to sort through all this stuff. And then there's a possibility that ESPN itself could enforce it as a third party beneficiary. It's not worth going into, but it could be even worse than it looks. So I, I am not as optimistic about a legal solution. I'm more optimistic about a business solution and a lot of the points that you guys have made about maneuvering that could happen with additions or you know, someone finding enough money to say this is actually worth it for us to try and negotiate our way out. And you know, things are accelerating so quickly. You know, I don't think anyone expects things to go into the 2030s. There's, someone will definitely be gone before then, even if they just have to find a mountain of cash. Just maybe at this point, it's a little premature. But, but legally, I, I don't know what more, if you don't have a way out of the grant of rights and you don't have a way out of, you, you can't push any buttons on the ACC ESPN deal, legally, I'm not sure what you would do. Other, other than if people want to try to open up the bylaws and add in dissolution and add in some other stuff. But you, again, you have to get 75% to agree. And so who, some of these schools like BC and Georgia Tech and Syracuse would have a blocking position. So you've got to make them whole somehow. So you sort of end up in the same place. You know, one, one thing I would throw in on top of that is um, when we're talking about ESPN, they're not in great financial shape either. Um, you know, they're having problems of their own. And, you know, uh, Disney, uh, Bob Iger, I think, has talked about uh, spinning it off as its own entity, you know, and so is this a great time to be going to ESPN and saying we need to renegotiate the contract because uh, they would say, yeah, let's do renegotiate downward, you know, uh, 
because uh, we're not getting as much money. And, and then the whole uh, other subject that I'm fond of is a streaming argument and all of that has come around to um, initially it was biting people like uh, Bravo or somebody like that. Now it's biting sports, um, the, the streaming deal. So um, that's another layer on top of all of this that, you know, ESPN might not, it, even if, let's say we get Notre Dame or ACC gets Notre Dame, how much are they going to be willing to to blow up that contract when they don't even know if they're going to be around tomorrow? Um, so just another layer to this, which is getting to be like an onion with the layers. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, yeah. get in here before I ask the final question. Yeah, one 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 thing I do want to add to what Rob was just saying above is the maybe the most interesting thing that I've I've heard sort of bandied about, and this this is not directly from you know the high level folks, some of the high level folks uh, uh, down there, but I've I've heard it from multiple places uh, from from Florida State side is the possibility of trying to challenge the grant of rights not so much at, uh, directly challenging the contract it's, or the, uh, the what's on in the contract, but essentially trying to use Florida state's position as a, as a, uh, as a state institution in the state of Florida and, and basically pulling sovereign immunity and saying, yeah, you may have us on the contract, but here in the, in the great state of Florida, you can't sue the state. Uh, you can't sue, you know, us, you can't sue the state of Florida, sovereign immunity, and uh, you can go ahead and we'll we'll just go ahead and and, and not pay you, and there's nothing you can get from us. Uh, and you know that's sort of the nuclear option. I mean, if there really is no way out of the grant of rights, I would not be surprised to see some version of that strategy uh, as you know, put on the table of like, look, you can't get money from us anyway, because we're a sovereign institution. And I do wonder, I mean, they restructured their athletic department a couple of years ago, a few years ago now to be, you know, partly under the, it's the FSUAA whole thing. And there's the booster organization that's tied to that and all of that. And I wonder whether that actually makes it easier to sue them as not a, um, not entirely a, a state institution, but the sovereign immunity angle is an interesting one when it comes to considering how a state institution, particularly in a state that has some of those specific laws like the, like the state of Florida, uh, might try to to go about this. And, and it may not be successful, but it is an interesting option nonetheless. Very interesting. Sovereign. I don't even want to get down that wormhole. Buck Sanders, where does North Carolina? No, Greg, get in here. Follow that up. And then I'm going to ask, where does everybody, just to give everybody a heads up, I'm going to ask where you think Carolina will ultimately end up and where they should end up. I just Go wanted Greg. to follow what Buck had said about kind of ESPN being in a little bit of financial trouble. And I think you have to uh, kind of tip your cap to the the competitors in this. And by that, I mean the Big Ten. I know the SEC gets a lot of uh, pub because they're, you know, SEC, SEC, and, and Sankey likes to run his mouth. The Big Ten's been impressive, and, and the Big Ten has the biggest payout. Um, and when they were in that position of being the number one conference in the country, what did they do? Uh, and Kevin Warren went to bat when there was a, 
a media rights deal on the table. And last year, they signed a seven-year, so not 20 years, but a seven-year deal worth $7 billion with Fox, CBS, and NBC. So he's got coverage from three different networks. And what I found fascinating about that is that uh, Warren and his crew took a very NFL approach to where uh, Fox has noon games and they can package it as the Big Ten on Fox every Saturday at noon. So you know those Fox games are on a specific time. CBS is the mid-afternoon game. And then what comes on in the evenings? Big Ten Saturday night on NBC. That is very smart. Uh, it kind of locks fans into understanding you know, which network has what game time, which I think is very important. And, and that's the way you do it. The ACC, of course, followed up, and they signed a deal with uh, the CW back in the spring. So here we are. Same thing. Yeah, same level. Buck, let's wrap this one up. Where does Carolina end up? Where do you, Where would you want Carolina to end up? The easy question of the night. I'm not – and the first train smoking is always, you know, my <laughs> my answer here. Wherever it's going, just somewhere out of here. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the more I think about it, the – that may not happen until 2036, but in 2036, it's going to happen, you know, because once that grant of rights goes away, everybody goes away. Well, Clemson's going away. Florida State's going away. Um, whoever I'm, I'm, else. I'm going to interrupt you, Buck. By 2036, I'm not sure we're going to have the conferences and, you know, college sports arranged the way that they are now. I think by the time we get to, you know, the big tens contract ends when uh, uh, Greg, you were just looking at it. What? 2031. Is that right? 2030. Yeah. It starts this year. So I think 2030. Okay. And then the secs is what? 2033. That sounds. So I think by the time we hit the last couple of years of the sec contract, we're going to, and, and this also, by the way, is, uh, is some of the stuff I've heard from some of the powers that be down, down around Florida state is look this is we're talking about the next six seven years eight years maybe because in eight years nine years the whole thing's going to get blown up and you're going to see contraction of some some of the programs you know the Rutgerses and the and and wake forests of the world and some of those that may not want to play the big big time game they're gonna they're gonna kind of get bumped away and you're i think i think right now the direction is towards you'll see something bounce back towards sort of a regionalization and probably the biggest schools will all be in a kind of quasi NFL kind of arrangement that I think you're going to start to see that. I would be surprised if by 2036, we're looking at ACC, big 10 sec with anything resembling their current construction. And you probably are certain to be right. But my point would be if it doesn't happen before then, in 2036, everything's you know, going to boom. It's, it's a game of musical chairs, right? Yeah. You know, uh, music starts playing, and first one to take a seat is last one not to take a seat is in trouble. So, but think uh, about that the, the Big Ten and the SEC will have already renegotiated another contract. 
before the granorites is up. Yeah. Yeah. It is a uh, so book. Okay. SEC, I would say. I think I think all, all the way around. If you had to make a choice, I love the Big Ten for its academics and all of that. Um, I think North Carolina could fit into either one, but I think most people um, would prefer to be in a situation that um, just seems more of a cultural fit. That's a weird answer, but I just think that's that's what most people would prefer if they had the opportunity. Rob, what do you think? I'm an SEC man. Uh, I think for me, the cultural aspects are number two. Number one is you follow your talent. And I think the Carolina talent base will always be Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. And I think that they're better off recruiting there in the SEC than they are in the Big Ten. I don't think they can replicate that success if they if they presumably lose influence in those states and try to make it up in Pennsylvania and Ohio. I think you, we, we saw how that worked during the Dick Crum era. And uh, no need to revisit that. You know, I, I would rather have this harmonious alignment between being in the conference of record and the place that you need to recruit most. So for me, it's a football thing. I also do think that culturally it makes a little more sense. I know faculty, some faculty wouldn't agree with that. I, I understand. I'm not anti-Big Ten. I'm just I'm an SEC person. I think if it comes to that, before it all goes boom, I think we'll find out who wills the power in Chapel Hill. Do the, do, do the, do the football and the big monies that want to go to the SEC or do the academic side and the faculty and that, that side, does that, do they go to the big 10? Even though I can honestly say going to play at Southern Cal and, and UCLA and Oregon and Washington's not that bad a look anymore. Greg, where do you think Carolina ends up if it comes down to the Big Ten and SEC at some point? I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and everybody's gonna hate me. Uh, I've, everything that we have been told is that UNC has guaranteed safe landing in either the SEC or the Big Ten, uh, and so basically. Not that they'll get to choose, but that there are options there. Um, and I think it's a fascinating discussion, Tommy. And I, I've kind of been from the standpoint of two directions. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree with Buck and Rob that in terms of cultural fit, and, and I think the following the talent is a good point too, that the SEC is, is there. Um, the two points I would make is that UNC and, and his faculty and his alumni really hold his academic standing as a public Ivy uh, very important. And so when you look at the big 10, the big 10 is, has never admitted a program. That's not an AAU school. Now Nebraska joined as an AAU school and is no longer one. Um, but even the PAC 12 acquisitions are all AAU schools. ACC has six of those. UNC of course is one of them. Um, so academically, the Big Ten's a much better fit. And then the other component of it is UNC has 28 Olympic sports, or 28 sports total, 26 of which are Olympic sports. The Big Ten, they play 28 sports. Granted, they have hockey, which the ACC doesn't. It's a much more seamless transition. The SEC only plays 21. 
Um, now, what some of the SEC schools do is some of those sports join other smaller leagues and kind of they're not conferences necessarily, but they're kind of groupings uh, and or you know, you've got the club option. But that would be a big change for what UNC is, is held dear in terms of, hey, we've got 28 sports that we play. Uh, it, it would be different. It would look different. And there, I mean, we're talking, you know, probably seven, seven teams. So 25% of what Carolina plays would have to readjust and look differently about how they play those sports and kind of where they belong. Uh, and so because of all that, I think the big 10 is, is maybe the ideal fit, but I, I don't, uh, disagree at all with the idea about cultural fit, which certainly matches the SEC. Rob Harrington made the, a great point that I'm going to use forever. Follow the talent. Yeah. Go south. You, you take a left on 95. And, and well, if you, you take a right on 95 from Chapel Hill um, and get to the SEC. Jason, you think Florida State's looking to the Big Ten Real well, quick. Well, I think Florida State that. would prefer the SEC, but they ha- I think they have a spot in the Big Ten. That's the difference. So for Carolina, what do you think? So this is complicated for me. And again, I'm going to take a little bit of a Greg Barnes cheat here. Um, <laughs> it's complicated because it depends on, on when and, and, and with whom. Right? So, so I'm – a firm believer that college athletics are better when they're regional. College sports have always, the lifeblood of college sports has always been regional rivalries. I mean, the lifeblood of Carolina and Duke basketball is the Carolina Duke rivalry. It's not national championships though. That, that does matter, but there, there are, there are people who root for those teams who would rather have two wins against their rivals or three counting the ACC tournament per year and not winning a title to losing those games and winning a national title. There are a lot of people who, who fall in that bucket and, you know, same with football and all sorts of other things. College sports are better when they're regional. So all things being equal, if it's just Carolina leaving the, the ACC, I think it makes sense to join the, the, the SEC. Cause then you're playing South Carolina, you know, that's the, you know, who gets to be real Carolina that year. We all know who it really is, but you know, give them their chance. Right. So, you know, you, you have that, you play Tennessee, you know, there's, there's regionality to it. That's much, much harder in the big 10. But if the big 10 were to say, come in and say, okay, we'd like both you and Virginia. And we'd like to add, you know, Clemson and, you know, Georgia Tech and Florida State as a Big Ten South division, all of a sudden that makes that much more complicated, right? Because then, you know, you can still recruit in the state of Georgia and the state of Florida because you're going with a Georgia and a Florida team and you're having games down there. And now as a Big Ten, Big Ten South division, you have the advantage of the talent, which Rob was talking about. You're not departing from that exactly. And you have, you know, more sports and potentially more money with, with, with that situation and the faculty is probably happier too. So a little bit of it depends on that. It also depends on, okay, are we talking about, you know, two years from now, or are we talking about in 2036 when we're really probably looking at football is separate from everything else and it's its own entity and we're looking at where other sports are going to play and like, how are we dividing all this out? And I think at that point, 
you know, maybe football is part of the big boys club. I think it would be part of the big boys club as, you know, some sort of Southeastern or mid Atlantic division in all of this. And then, you know, you join in, in your Olympic sports, whichever conference makes the most sense for those Olympic sports and, you know, or, or non-revenue sports for basketball, whatever, all those sorts of things you, you rearrange a little bit for that. But I think by the time we get to 2036, it's going to look so different that the question of like SEC versus big 10 doesn't, it, it's not exactly the same question as it would be today. I've got a, uh, a thought I'd like to leave uh, with everybody in chat, everybody on the panel um, for the, for the better part of the last decade, I would say the big 10 has made more money than anybody else over the last 10 years. They have made more money per school, disperse more money, and that's been their big bragging right. Huge alumni base has helped. How many national football titles have they gotten in the last 10 years? Anybody got a quick answer? Jason is right, one. The SEC has got six. The ACC has three. Um, so... Follow the talent, Rob says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to, to follow the talent, maybe you want to go where the talent is. And uh, so that might be the, the final make weight argument. You know, one, they've been making more money. They've been getting a bigger piece of the pie. They could do more of what they wanted to over the last 10 years. And it hadn't translated into national titles. Well, On the flip it, side, how long how long before that the 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 money that's going to players? How long before you know disparities there start to maybe flip that? When you know if you get to a situation where you're making so much more money, and then that money starts getting funneled to players, and this player gets offered seven hundred thousand dollars more per year, you know well, that that, that like didn't that. come from that didn't come from the conference. That has to come from boosters. That's right. But, you know, we, we, you know, you know how this works now where the money goes into the athletic department from the, the media, uh, con, uh, contracts and all that. And then they build, you know, facilities, they pay coaches and all of that. Well, when you have a, a deficit there, then you have to tap the boosters for that stuff while they're paying for it out of their media money. Whereas somebody like Texas in the SEC, they've already got all that booster money, but they don't have to spend a dime of that booster money on anything but the NIL type stuff yeah. and paying players. So we that, I'm, sure that ma- I'm sure that makes a difference. But still, I think that's a valid point that yeah. more money has not made as big a difference to the Big Ten as you might think it has. And not just in football. I mean, in basketball and in, and, and in softball and in soccer and everything else. The SEC and, and in some cases, the ACC and also even the Pac-12, as you mentioned, with Stanford and others, Greg, they, they've managed to do it without the money. SEC's had the money, too. but Yeah, and the, the other part of that, too, Buck, is and this is a whole different discussion, so we don't need to start it now. This is yeah. <laughs> we'll be here at 11 o'clock but, tonight. But look at all right, how many, how many big schools are there in Iowa, right? There's two. How many big schools are there in Indiana? There's two. What about Illinois? Uh, Three, right. What about Ohio? Right? What about Michigan? One real. (laughs) Right. But that's the the point of 
and then you look at enrollment. All these Big Ten schools are massive enrollment size. I, mean, I don't know what they are now, but like 60,000. Look at the ACC, a bunch of small schools, and then look at North Carolina, the state of specifically. How many FBS programs are in the state of North Carolina? Six. Too many. I would say too many. Yeah. Too many. And that's a whole different discussion of like what the ACC, where they're kind of positioned. Like they went after Boston and Syracuse to get the media markets in Massachusetts and New York. How'd that work out? Not very well. Nobody up there cares about college sports, right? <laughs> Georgia Tech's in Atlanta, but Georgia's the big program down there. Um, you know, Clemson and South Carolina battle out for South Carolina, but I mean, I mean, South Carolina. Um, Ohio State has over 66,000 undergraduate students. It's insane. Wake Forest has what, six? <laughs> Ohio yeah. State's got that's Wake about Forest right. He's not joking. Base. No, I know. Yeah. I, t- I taught at Wake Forest for a year. It's that's six. Crazy. A little under, actually, when I was there, I think. The, the money, though, and I think this point about the media money is a school like North Carolina has to go get a booster to build a tennis facility or, or, or softball facility, which they haven't done, you know, haven't really expanded that one. They spend booster money on facilities when these other schools and these other conferences spend the money they make from the media. And to Greg's point, and I think this is a lot more relevant than we've made it out to be, but no disrespect here, but all their booster money goes to, to NIL. Goes to players. To the players. And and it's that is where the inequality has come in so much, I think. I mean, you go to Alabama, and every building on that campus is brand new. And you ask them, well, how do you do this? It's like football money. And it's not like that everywhere else it's not yeah, like the football money is actually working back into the institution which is not the case at, at you know most at, at programs outside of those two conferences at this point yeah and somebody said why not why not just stick with the acc i saw somebody in the chat or somebody on the message board just ride it out in the acc well you can't because you ride it out and you get so far behind especially in the olympic sports because there's nothing there i don't know well, and we're all, and, and again, I want to remind everybody, we're only on the front end of this disparity. Greg, you, you mentioned when the ACC signed its contract, they were only a, a million dollars behind. Like being a million dollars and, you know, $10 million behind for, you know, four or five years. Okay. Like that, that's no good, but 60 million, like at that point, that's multiple years of revenue difference right that's a multiple years of like they're bringing in two years of revenue for every one year you bring in that and that's not just for one year that's for one year and then the next year now they're up three years on you then the next year they're up five years on you and that starts to add up to the point where it is like if you try to stick that out and hold and just say hold the line it's all right you know we've dealt with a little bit of a of a uh, of a disparity before you haven't dealt with that disparity that's different and that is not sustainable and 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 again you know the big 10 has not been competitive you know on all these things previously but when you can start to bring in that level of of money difference 
it starts to make a big difference. And again, I think Rob's right. It makes a difference in the, in the non-revenue sports first. That's where you start to see it. And that's just the harbinger before it catches up and the other stuff, because again, at UNC, the last thing that UNC will ever let get affected by any of this is basketball. Cause that's the golden goose at a Florida state or a Clemson. It's gotta be football. Those are going to be the last to suffer, but every other sport is going to suffer incrementally as that, that disparity grows. And then eventually it will start to get to the, to the big, to the big sports. And that that's when it, that's when it lights out. We'll leave it there. The doomsday event. It's been uh, inside Carolina's round table. Buck Sanders, as always, thank you for joining us. Look forward to our chats all the time. Rob Harrington, first time in a long time. It's not going to be the first time and the last time. We're going to get you on as much as possible down the road. Appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Greg Barnes, as always, you know, bringing facts, getting fired up about um, Stanford and their academics, and they don't have a seat at the table. And semi-pro, we're going to start saying Greg semi-pro Barnes. That's Jason Staples. He's been with me a lot lately. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Another hour and 20-minute roundtable from Inside Carolina. It's been a great week of content. Make sure you check out everything on the site. Vip's got some work up there. The governor speaks. Um, basketball, just a ton of content. And Buck Sanders is the head of it. And Slagle, the prediction pod, coming soon, buddy. We'll talk to everybody shortly. <laughs>